Um, hey, glad you're joining us this morning. I know there's definitely some new faces here this morning, this service and last service. If you're new with us today, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Maybe you're joining us online for the first time. Welcome to all of you. Uh, I wanted to come out and before I kind of jump into the message today, I wanted to tell you about something really exciting that we've kind of been having in the works. Um, I was actually going to ask Jacob to come out and announce this, but he's not here today, and so he asked me to do it. This is kind of his baby, but I think you're going to like this, okay? So coming up in October on the 15th and the 16th, we're going to have a thing here at the church that we are calling 24 Hours of Prayer and Worship. It is going to be awesome. We are going to be literally worshiping the Lord for 24 hours straight. That does not mean that you have to be here for 24 hours straight, okay? Some of you are like, okay, good. Um, But what we are going to do is we are going to be doing what's called intercessory prayer, just praying on other people's behalf. It might be missionaries. It might might be some ministries. It's going to be other local churches that we're going to be praying over. We're going to have some different things set up all over the place of things to pray over. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have some signups in October that you will be able to sign up for one hour increments and come in, you'll be able to worship, you'll be able to pray during that time for your one hour. I believe we're gonna try to get four people per slot um, for 24 hours. And if you come and you're like, hey, I just wanna come back again, come back again. Stay the whole time, we don't care. I mean, the band's gonna take turns, they're gonna, it might just be like an acoustic set, somebody playing piano worshiping, or, or it might be um, guitar. I think they're gonna do a surprise, like all band worship, but we're not gonna tell you what time that is. Um, but anyway, I wanna tell you about that because it's a really cool thing that we get to do that we've never done before to really pray over our community and the world that we live in. So listen more for that. Uh, but it's going to be a really cool time. I'm actually very excited for that. So, um, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3. If you have your Bible app, turn there. If you have your physical Bible, please turn there. We'll be there here in a little while, but I want to make sure you're ready. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been going through this sermon series called Counterfeit Christian, uh, really looking at the book of 1 John. 1 John is all about this idea of love, what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to love the way that Jesus loved. And so kind of some context as to where we've been, maybe a little bit of a debriefing. Uh, The first week was 1 John chapter 1. It was all about dealing with our sin. And actually, kind of the the point that stuck stuck out to me that week um, was this. It said, uh, the depth of my sin reveals the width of his forgiveness. Now, I really like that because as I think about how jacked up I am and the human beings are, I look at it and I think, we have so much sin in our lives, and all that does, it does separate us from God, but we are made one with him through Jesus Christ, and all it shows is the depth and the width of his love for us. You think about it, right? While we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. While we were still, while we were still dead in our sin, he loved us so much that he died for us. So even though we're full of sin, it just shows the depth of his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness for us. Week two was really, last week was dealing with rejection. Remember, if we love God, we're going to reject the things of this world, but the inverse of that is also true, that if we love what the world has to offer, essentially we are rejecting God. Because one thing that I know is, you cannot be chasing Jesus and sin at the same time. You just can't do it. Right? If, if, if Jesus is here and sin's here, you can't do both. You can't chase them both at the same time. One of the biggest themes of this entire book, or in particular a letter that John wrote to this specific church, 
was warning about the idea of false teachers. He talks a lot about this. And what he's doing is he's correcting the things that these false teachers taught them. If you think about that word false teacher, counterfeit teacher. They claim to somewhat sort of be Christians, I suppose. But one thing that he's really correcting is the fact that they were teaching people in the church that they did not believe in Jesus' messiahship. That Jesus wasn't really who he said he was, among other things. In fact, what actually happened was they actually move on. Whether they got kicked out or they decided to move elsewhere, uh, they move on and keep doing their thing. And John's like, listen, I'm writing you this letter to correct these counterfeit teachers and the things that they taught you. So to kind of summarize it, I, just, I stole this from my Bible software, so this is not my wording, but I did love how it worded it. So here's the theme of the book of First John. John writes to assure believers of the certainty of their faith and to refute heretical doctrines, teaching that Jesus was not fully human and fully divine. But what's interesting is that John does this through a main focus of love. And you'll see this throughout the entire book. You've already heard it for three, well, it'll be three weeks today. He just keeps talking about this idea of love. So you can kind of see where we're going with this today. But really what he's trying to get across to his readers at the time, and, and we can certainly apply this to our lives today, is the idea of having a false view of who Jesus is. Because if I'm to be real, I think a lot of Christians do. I think they have a false view of who he is. And if we're not careful, if we have a false view of who Jesus is, did he really say that? Is that really what he meant? And if we're not careful, what will happen is we will have a distorted view of who Jesus is and the things that he wants us to do. And what it will cause, this idea of love, is it will cause us to have the lack of love or what we call apathy if we're not very careful. For you nerds out there, here's an outline for you up on the screen to put it up there. There's an outline of the book of 1 John. I'm not going to go through that, but the fourth one down is in red because that's specifically what we're going to be talking about today, that God is love. See, we were able to love because of God. God is love. In fact, if you look, it's a huge section from, you know, chapter 3 all the way to chapter 5. It covers a broad range. I'm not going to get into 5. I'm barely going to get into 4 today. But we've already looked at the idea of how to deal with our sin. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But ultimately, what we're going to look at is who's the source? Where does love come from? Um, just a moment ago, I said something that I really wanted to start out with. So here's my first point for you this morning is that a false view of Jesus or a counterfeit view of Jesus will lead us into a life of apathy. It's so important that we understand who Jesus is and was, the things that he said, and apply them to our lives so that we can remember what it's all about. You know, I was thinking about this with myself, okay? So... Um, I'm not this natural, happy-go-lucky kind of guy, okay? I don't, I don't see somebody walk in the door and go up to them and give them a big hug, or, you know, I don't walk around with a smile on my face all the time. In fact, I did not get in trouble for this first service. There's a lot more people here, so don't get mad at me. But people tell me that I have RBF. How many of you know what that means? Okay, B stands for BART, Okay. People tell me I have that, that I have this thing, a scowl on my face all the time. In reality, what it is, I think, I'm just a thinker, okay? I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not what some people are. I, I tend to, to, I'm a deep thinker. I'm, 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 I'm hyper aware of my surroundings. I'm, I'm a focused person. And that can come off as being apathetic. And at times, perhaps, that's certainly not my intent 
Um, I know, like, whenever I go somewhere that I don't really want to be, like, you know, Walmart, um, you go there, and if you wait in line or whatever, and, and I don't want to be there anyway, and I'll, you know, the cashier might be checking me out or whatever, and it's really sometimes hard for me to be overly outgoing um, because that's just not really who I am. And in my mind, this is how I justify it. Subconsciously, this is the way that I think, if that's even a thing. I don't know that you could really subconsciously think, but in my mind, I'm thinking, why be overly outgoing to this person or a waiter or a waitress or whatever? Um, because they don't, I'm not gonna be mean to them. That's not what I'm saying. I, I'm not gonna be mean to them, but why be super happy and upbeat when they don't even know me anyway, right? They don't know that I'm a Christian. It's not like I'm giving Jesus a bad name by not being super outgoing to them. And that's kind of how my mind thinks a lot of times. Like, I'll be like, I'll leave there and be like, well, I wasn't exactly the most outgoing to that person. Oh, well, they don't know I'm a Christian. But then I'm reminded every time, it's this one dang scripture that God keeps reminding me of every time. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, and Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And what I realize whenever I think about that scripture is that they may not know that I follow Jesus, okay? I may not be damaging in my mind at first, but I'm certainly not creating the opportunity to even talk about Jesus or to even be Jesus to them. Or maybe this is the person who comes after me, right? And they're going to be Jesus to them, but I just wasn't. And so I'm reminded that it's not about me. You know, Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, and the answer is not always to preach at people. You see this word reconcile? Reconcile right there, reconcile? It's the Greek word katalasso, okay? Um, it means to change or exchange. It can certainly be a financial term, the idea of, you know, um, getting squared up um, to make things right. It can be monetary. It can be even like through a bartering system. But what's really interesting about this particular word and the way that it's used in the Greek is that never in the New Testament is that word used financially. It's always used relationally. Whether it's from uh, one person to another uh, reconciling that or from one people group to another people group or a person or people to God, it's always used relationally. I'm going to get into chapter 3, but first I want to have a little bit of fun. I brought three pictures this morning that I want to show you, and, and what each one of these pictures represents is something that Bart loves, okay? Are you ready for the first one? Okay, show that first one. Pizza. Anybody else love pizza? Okay, good. Anybody else love meat lovers pizza? Anybody, anybody else not love colorful stuff on your pizza? <laughs> okay, <laughs> me neither. I love an all-meat pizza. It's delicious, right? I mean, if you don't love pizza, you're kind of weird. The pizza's awesome, and I love it. Okay, what's the next thing? The gym. I talked about this last time, okay? I love the gym. I love going there. I love spending time there. I love the way I feel. It's kind of my refuge, if you will. I love to listen to my music and just get in my own world. I love the gym, probably because I love pizza too much. I love pizza. I love the gym. And the third thing, 
That's right, aw. I love my daughter. That's Riley Noel. Her middle name is Noel because she was born on Christmas Day, really special to us, but um, that's my beautiful daughter. Show that next picture. You see what I just did there? I just equated all three of those things, didn't I? Through one word. Those were three things that Bart what? Loves. See, we have one word for that, and that's the word love. The Greek had four words for it. And I think what we do is we tend to throw around this word a little too often and, and get a little too reckless with it because essentially, even though you know better, I mean, you don't have to be a parent to know that I don't love pizza in the gym the way that I love my daughter, right? I'm not in love with pizza in the gym, but I am in love with my daughter. But if we're not careful, what will happen is we will develop a distorted view of even what the word love really means. You know, our words matter. They're very important. And the reason that I love her more than those other things is because just like me, she is a fellow imager of God. And if there's one thing that God makes very clear in his word, is that that is the love of his life. And all of us are the love of his life. You know, the Apostle John, he understood this and basically wrote an entire letter on it, like I said. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11. The first 10 verses, we're not really going to go over. I'll, I'll hit a couple of them, but really that's a direct continuation from chapter 2 that we've actually already gone over last week. So starting at verse 11, he says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should, what? Love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why? Cain hated Abel. He did not have love for his brothers, what he's saying. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. It's interesting, it comes right after what he says first, that we should love one another. He's literally saying, hey, guess what? You love people, you're going to be hated for it. That's messed up, but that happens. We try to love, and yet we're hated because we're full of love? It's because our citizenship isn't here, right? So people may not understand what we're trying to do, or maybe we just don't do a great job of it, but we will be hated because we love people. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. He's literally saying here, that is proof, that is fruit, that you have passed from the realm of the dead, pre-Jesus, now you're in Christ, and the proof of that is the way that you love people. The one who does not love remains in spiritual death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now I want to pause here because those are some pretty harsh words. If you hate your brother or sister, then you are a murderer. Where do you think John got that idea from? Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says almost those exact words. If you have hatred in your heart toward a brother or a sister, it is the same as murdering them. That's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said this, I tell you it means this, and he expounds upon it. 
What's interesting is Jesus actually doesn't even stop there. John does, even though John wrote this afterward. Jesus says, you have hatred, it's murder in your heart, but you need to make it right. Go be reconciled to that person. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. That whole idea of reconciliation, katalasso. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. And John is telling us that the reason that we know what love is is because God the Father exercised that love on us first. We can say, yeah, through Jesus, of course. But what's so interesting is, is that nothing takes God by surprise. And yet he still chose to love us and create us knowing how much we would mess everything up. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead just one chapter. 1 John 4.19 tells us that we love because he first loved us. Remember from earlier, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. We love other people because we are representing Christ. So when you think about this idea of being Christ's ambassadors, um, some of you have this bracelet on right now. There's four letters on it, and it says WWJD, right? The idea of being an ambassador is to, is to represent that person as if you're them. So to say that we can be Jesus to people may sound crazy until you think about it. We're his ambassadors. We are to act on his behalf. So you've got to think in terms of what would Jesus do, and maybe for some of you on the other side of that bracelet, it says something else. It says he would, what, love first. It's all about love. Now, I didn't read this next part because we started in verse 11, but just look at how the first two verses in chapter 3, how it starts out. To see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Twice he talks about the idea that we are God's children. Reconciliation. That Christ reconciled the broken relationship between us and God. And because he did that, we are now children of God. See, this idea of children of God, that's adoption talk. Paul talks about it a lot in his letters as well. But if you think about it, when you become adopted, or you know somebody who's been adopted, what happens? You become like that family. You take on those family's values. You take on those family's attributes. And that's what he's saying here, is that we love because God first loved us. We've been adopted into God's family. God is love. Therefore, we should do and be the same. This next thing I wrote down is that as his imagers and adopted children, we are to imitate his holiness. And in that holiness, that includes love because I believe that is what holiness is made up of. You see, we are called to be set apart, holy, be made holy. If you think about it, if we're to be made holy, to set, be set apart from the rest of the world, what is the rest of the world not doing? Love. But yet we're called to be counter cultural 
John talks about it here. Paul talks about it a lot in his letters. Jesus preached on it constantly. And one thing that none of them did is ever leave the idea of exercising love optional. It's never an option when it comes to loving the Lord and loving our neighbor as ourself. So if we keep going, look at what John says. He says, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, in other words, if they, are, if they see somebody in need, whatever that may be, and they withhold compassion, or if they exercise apathy, they have no emotion, no love toward that person, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love the world or the word, love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Action and truth. Coincidentally, my Bible actually titles this section Love and Action. But remember me telling you earlier about me not being the most, you know, like smiley guy <laughs> out in the world, right? Last Sunday, I was listening to the sermon. I was kind of listening. I was kind of writing this sermon too as I was taking, or listen, I was taking notes. I believe God gave something to me that I, it's my favorite point of today's message. It's this, love is an action, and our actions preach the message of reconciliation. You see, actions speak louder than words, don't they? And you can go out and you can say, hey man, I love you, but if you don't act like it, it's not gonna mean anything. You can go today to lunch, and you can, you know, tell somebody that you love your waiter or your waitress, but if you tip them like crap, it's not really showing it. If you treat them badly, it's not really showing it. You see, love is an action. Love is a verb. And our actions, when we put love into action, like love is not a thought. You know, love is not just a, a trait. Love is a verb. And we put that into action, we preach the message of reconciliation. It's that whole idea, and you've heard it said it a million times probably, that people don't want to, they, they, don't, they don't want to know how, or they don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care, right? They want to know that you truly love them. Not just with your words or, or the things that you say, but really what you do with them and, and to them and for them. You know, back to 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. But right after that, he says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Now, it specifically says that he, if he says, I love God and hates his brother or sister. Because if you look at where it says, he says, I love God, that's saying it, not doing it. But the hating is the doing if we truly don't have love for someone else and it shows, then we can't possibly love God the way that we're supposed to. We can say it, but John here, he's, he's just calling us out that we are a liar. We are called to love and then we have to put that love into action because if we don't, then we're nothing but a counterfeit. We're nothing but a, a, a false Christian. Verse 19 of chapter 3, it says, This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and we will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. And what I think is interesting 
if you think about our heart, right, how many times have you heard, like when it comes to a relationship, somebody says, oh, just follow your heart. What's amazing is how easily our heart is deceived and also how easily our hearts can cause us to deceive others. And I believe what John is, is really saying here is that God is greater. I love what he said. He did, he's, God's greater than our hearts. Now, I don't know if this is what he's doing, but I, I don't think he's necessarily alluding to anything specific in the Old Testament. But I know that John's theology was based upon something that the prophet Jeremiah said roughly 650 years earlier because Jeremiah specifically talks about the heart. And how easily deceived it is. And then he speaks on God's behalf. In Jeremiah 17, the prophet says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? It's a rhetorical question. He said, listen, we're messed up people. And our heart, even though we think, in, in, in their mind, that's where all of the emotions came from. They like literally thought of this idea of a, of a heart or, or this organ that released this emotion. He's like, well, listen, we can't even understand it. It's incurable. We try, it deceives us. Who can understand it? But then he answers for the Lord. He says, I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way. And listen to this, according to what his actions deserve. What we receive from God, the blessings or the lack thereof, that's based on whether or not we put that love into action on whether or not we make love a verb. It's based upon the way that we treat one another. John continues in verse 21, he says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. What he's saying here is, listen, as believers, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit whose job is to convict you, to change your heart. So if your heart's not condemning you and you don't feel convicted, you're, you're probably pretty good if you're truly living this life for Christ. He says, and you're going to receive whatever we ask him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. And this whole section is fantastic when it really comes to putting our faith in action by loving people. So I guess my question for all of us this morning would be, are you connected to the source of love? Before I read the last two sentences, I want you to see um, how John started this letter. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, it'll go on to explain that a little more, but what I think is very interesting is he actually uses very similar language with the exact same goal uh, in his third letter that he writes, Third John. Coincidentally, chapter 1, verse 4, but he says, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. And what John's saying here is that his heart and his joy was so bound up in seeing the people that he ministered to put love into action. And that's what he does. All through these letters, he's like, listen, you have to love people. That's the message of Christ. And he knew that all of their spiritual growth was dependent on their relationship with Christ. And he knew that in order to thrive spiritually, that they had to be connected directly to the source of love itself, to Jesus. And he knew that in order to have a, a truthful and healthy view of Jesus, um, it would take some work. But if they didn't, they would become apathetic to their brothers and sisters. So kind of my final point going to this end here is that 
the mark of a Christian is love. You know, we did a, a series a, a few months ago, and it was all about just kind of looking at what we should be producing in our lives as Christians, but ultimately, it comes down to love, right? The whole idea of fruit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, all those, what does it start with? Love. How we can fulfill the entire law, the Old Testament law, by doing one thing, love God, love others. And in order to fully understand that, we must be and remain connected to the source. Jesus is the one that said, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that word he uses, if you remain in me. John ends this section with this idea. He says, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, there's that word, remains in him, and he in him. If you keep his commands, you'll remain in him, and he will remain in you. But what's the opposite of that mean? If you don't keep his commands, it means that you're not remaining in him. He will not remain in you. There's a reason that in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And earlier I showed you an outline because I wanted to really summarize this entire book um, so that we don't think, take things out of context. And sometimes we'll cherry pick verses, don't we? And we'll make it fit kind of the, the, the agenda that we have. And I've heard, I've even heard preachers talk about Revelation 3.20 that Jesus says, hey, I'm standing at the door and knocking, just waiting for you to let me in as if he's talking to people who don't know him to non-believers. That's so taken out of context because literally Jesus is writing, he's saying these words to a church, to the church of Laodicea. Maybe you've heard of the lukewarm church. Jesus says, listen, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were on fire for me. I wish you were cold and a refreshing drink, but you're neither, you're lukewarm and you turn my stomach and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. That's how he starts it to this church. He's like, you make me sick to my stomach. But then he says, but I stand at the door and I knock. I'm just waiting for you to let me in. And he does that for everyone. That gift of salvation is for everyone. That's not even specifically about salvation. He said, listen, let me back into your life. You're apathetic. You don't have love for people. You don't have love for me that I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm not going to get a, a, into a theological debate about losing your salvation because I really think the hinge point that we argue about is that word losing or lose your salvation. But I will say that Scripture makes it very clear that keeping His commands is proof of being, of being and staying connected to the source of love. John ends with this sentence and he says, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that, that the, the, the guarantee, the seal of our salvation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how John here in just this one letter, in particular just this one chapter, sums up the great commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love others as yourself. And what we find throughout John's letter is not only how to love and serve others, but in fact, who the source of love is.
And he constantly is pointing back to Jesus. And again, I'll, re I'll return to the question, are you connected to the source? Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So I look at that from two ways. Um, as his church, where are you? Um, are you hot or cold? Are you on fire? Are you refreshing? Or are you just lukewarm? Um, because he tells us he's just standing at the door knocking, waiting for us to let him back in. Because what I know is, and there are people out there who are, who are dying and going to hell. And if we don't have love for those people, that falls on us. You know, my, my little saying has always been, my goal would be to make disciples who make disciples. You know, if people meet Jesus here, fantastic. But a lot of you knew Jesus before you started coming here, so really our goal is to train up, send out. Into a world that's lost and dark and hopeless. But we get to show them a better way, right? And maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online, I mean, I don't even know what I believe about this Jesus stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it sounds simple, like eternal salvation, like all eternity, new heaven, new earth, spending eternity with him. It's really that easy to, to just make him the Lord of your life? Yeah, it's not an easy process. But I will tell you that Jesus is the only way he says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ. And so maybe somebody needed to hear that this morning. But there's not a lot of ways for salvation. There's one way, and his name is Jesus. Listen, we all heard John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son, his one-of-a-kind son, so that we don't have to perish, we don't have to die spiritually. We can have eternal life through Jesus. So this morning what I would ask you is, where are you? Are you connected to the source? Whether you know Jesus or you don't, are you connected to the source? That whole idea of a vine and branches and fruit, Jesus is the vine, we're the offshoot, we're the branch, he expects us to, to produce the fruit. But you can't produce what you don't have. You can't produce a fruit if you're not directly connected to the source of the nutrients. And it's just Jesus. So maybe it's a wake-up call for the church this morning to love people, because that's our mark. That's the one thing that we have that the world just doesn't seem to do a good job at giving. Here in a little bit, we're going to have the prayer team up here as we close, and, and they're up here to pray for you for whatever it is you need. But maybe you're here this morning and you just want a change in your life, or this is hitting you, or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I would say come and talk to one of them. Talk to somebody before you leave today. It's all about Jesus. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord, we, we just thank you for, for Jesus. But we love you, and we're able to love you and others because you first loved us. 
You loved us before we were ever even known here on this earth. You knew us, and you knew all the mistakes we would make, but yet you still chose us. So Father, as we leave here today, I pray not only for ourselves that we would act like it. Father, I pray for the world. I pray that we can go out and be light bearers to this dark world. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your conviction on our hearts, even when it's hard to love, that we would get over ourselves and do it anyway. Jesus, it's only you. You're it. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for reconciling us to the Father because of what you've done for us. May we never grow cold in that. May that never become normal. May we take that life-giving, life-saving message out into this world and reach people with it. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for coming today. Uh, if you're new with us, stop by the orange tables. Otherwise, come up for prayer, or we'll see you guys next time.